So about a month and a half ago, we were in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount series, which you guys may remember, it wasn't that long ago. And in Matthew chapter 6, we were looking at how Jesus taught about various spiritual disciplines. They were giving, giving to the poor, almsgiving. They were prayer, and there was fasting. Since that time, I've had multiple people um, from this congregation, from this family, come and talk to me about fasting. They've shared some experiences with it. They've shared the interest on the topic. They uh, just kind of had a realization and like a a thankfulness for us talking about it uh, during the Sermon on the Mount. And I've come to realize that it is something I think a lot of Christians really haven't dealt with in a full way, a full experiential way in their walk of faith. I personally have a little bit of experience with fasting. I fasted a few times in my life, but I recognize that it's a spiritual shortcoming that I have. It's something that I haven't spent that much time practicing, something I haven't spent that much time trying to understand biblically and get like a full scope of it. So while I have fasted in the past, I would say I haven't taken ownership of it. So I brought it up at our elders meeting, our last elders meeting, talked about having a church-wide fast. And we agreed that it would be something that is worth trying, that could be beneficial to our church. So this morning, I want to introduce to you the idea of a church-wide time of prayer and fasting. And along with that, you get a bonus gift for free of a sermon series on fasting as well. So I want to share the idea with you. Um, In total... Uh, Could you go to the sermon slides, please? Okay. In total, we're looking at doing fasting for 40 hours. And during those 40 hours, there will be 30-minute slots of prayer time that you can sign up for. Um, And the goal is to fill every minute of those 40 hours with prayer, continual prayer from our congregation. Now, I understand that's a lofty goal. I did the math, you know. We don't have 80 people uh, that would probably sign up individually, so some of us are going to have to double up if we're going to really try to make this happen, right? And, by the way, no one is forced to participate. No one is forced to fast or pray or sign up for the prayers. I believe that motivation and sincerity from my study that I've done so far is probably one of the most important factors when it comes to fasting. So I'm telling you this now, So that over the next few weeks, you can pray about it. You can let God speak to you whether or not or how you're going to participate in this fast and whether or not you're going to sign up to pray or how you're going to pray. But here are some more details so that you can consider uh, what we're going to be doing. So starting at 7 p.m. on Friday, February 2nd, we're going to start the fast. So you get to eat dinner first, and then we're going to start the fast. Unless you want to go hardcore then you can just stop at lunch. You can go longer if you want to. But I plan on eating dinner on Friday, and then we'll start fasting. And during that time, like I said, we'll have the prayer slots. You can sign up for one. You can sign up for a couple spaced out. You can sign up for three hours in a row if you wanted to. Um, But there will be time for us to uh, pray as a congregation about a certain thing or certain topics And while it is a corporate time of prayer, this would also be a great time for you to engage in your own prayer on an individual level, things that are close to your heart. And leading up to the event, um, 
I will be passing out a sheet that will help guide your prayers. That will give you kind of the theme uh, for where the church is heading in that prayer time. Um, But certainly it's not going to exclude any prayers that you want to do. And in the middle of our fast, on Saturday at 6 p.m., we're going to have a special worship service here at the church where we will be making the bread that we're going to use to break our fast come Sunday morning during our communion time. So our fast officially ends on Sunday morning, February 4th at 11 a.m. And that service is going to look different than a normal Sunday service. Um, And if you haven't participated in the fast, that doesn't exclude you from coming to church that day because you're certainly going to be welcome to take communion with us as normal um, and worship with us as normal. Um, It's just going to be a little different than our traditional Sunday service. So like I said, as we get closer to the weekend, we got a few weeks. I'll give you more resources and more details, but I wanted to share this idea with you today so that you can start thinking about it. And on the sign-up table in the back, along with everything else, if you already have decided that this is something you want to do right now, you can go back there and sign up for a prayer slot if you want to. Uh, There are uh, 80 of them, which I think we can accomplish. I really do. Overall, I think it's extremely important as a church and as an individual that we learn more about fasting and that we try to incorporate it into the spiritual fabric of our church on a more intentional level. So to help us prepare for this weekend of fasting that we have coming up and to help us be able to practice fasting on an individual level, at a self-guided level, here's a sermon series on it. Uh, So today we're going to be talking about the historical practice just a little bit um, in Christianity of fasting. We're going to look at what the church has done in the past a little bit. And then we're going to lay out the different kinds of fasting that there have been uh, laid out in Scripture for us. Tanner, if you're willing to help me out, uh, pass this out. You can pick another volunteer if you want. I'll give you that power to pick whoever you want. So uh, if you're inclined to note-taking, I'm passing this out. Uh, It has the notes for today on the specific message, and then it has open spaces uh, for you to take notes in the weeks to come. That way you'll have kind of one document to keep track of all your fasting notes, and you can reference it again uh, over the fasting weekend or in the future if you want to do a self-guided fast just as a resource. If you're not into note-taking, if you're not into writing, I get it. I'm not one of those people either. So no hard feelings if you don't want my paper. I'm not going to be offended. So in the weeks to come, we're going to be looking at how fasting connects to prayer. We're going to be looking at how fasting is a vehicle to help humble us, a self-humbling tool that is in our spiritual arsenal. And we're also going to look at how fasting connects to the idea of repentance. So maybe you are someone who's uh, fasted regularly. Maybe you've done it once or twice before. Maybe you have never contemplated the idea of fasting. But my goal in this series is to give you the knowledge that you need and the understanding that you need to properly carry out a fast. And these messages that we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks are definitely intertwined. We may even talk about the exact same Bible verse more than once, just from a different angle, to see how fasting is kind of this multifaceted practice. So on that note, Let's start today's conversation by looking at the historical practice of fasting. So there's this document that uh, was a part of the early church tradition called the Didache. And it's not super important you remember that. But it also has another fun, more long name. 
the Lord's teachings through the Twelve Apostles to the nations. Okay, so if you like that name more than the Didache, you can use that if you'd like. But the Didache was essentially just uh, a combination of early Christian practice. It was essentially like a handbook. Hey, what are churches supposed to do? What are Christians supposed to do? How are you supposed to carry it out? When are you supposed to carry it out? And it's not like it was seen at the same level as the Bible. It was just there to help organize Christian practice. And it talked on all kinds of things, um, from communion to baptism to prayer. It certainly included fasting and, and a lot more. So here's just like one little tidbit. That just like helps bring it into perspective what the early church thought about fasting. So this is from the Didache. It says, They fast, referring to the Jews, on the second and fifth days of the week. You fast on the third and sixth days. So it was common Jewish practice, and in light of what the Didache is talking about here. It was common Jewish practice for uh, those who were taking their faith extremely seriously and wanted to do everything and even go above and beyond what is uh, written in the Old Testament, that they would fast on Mondays and Thursdays. And on those days, they would eat nothing until evening. So they would fast during the waking hours, and come supper time, they would eat. So however, this changed when Christianity uh, became prominent. And they held on to this Jewish idea of fasting twice a week, but then they moved the days to Wednesday and Friday to commemorate the day that Jesus was betrayed and the day that Jesus was crucified. And on these days... Um, they would still pra- they would practice much like the Jews, not eating during the day and then eating dinner at night. And there are still some churches who practice this twice a week fasting method um, in more traditional denominations, much like the Eastern Orthodox Church and some others that still follow this model that is laid out in the Didache. There are also official periods of fasting built into the early church's calendar, leading up to major holidays like Christmas or Easter or Resurrection Sunday and a few of these other times where fasting was kind of built in in preparation. And there's also times where fasting was extremely prohibited around the celebrations as well because they said it's a time of celebration. It's not a time to fast. It's a time to enjoy what God has given us. So there's times dedicated to fasting and then times dedicated not to fasting where even if you were trying to do something personal, the church would recommend not right now. So in the early church, fasting wasn't a foreign idea. It was practiced occasionally, maybe even, we could say, often, especially compared to the common church life that we see today. So to go on this a little bit further, here's an interesting quote on fasting by a man named Isaac the Syrian, no relation to Isaac Cain. Uh, He lived about 1,400 years before you. So... Uh, This is what he says, though. He talks about fasting as a spiritual weapon. The Savior began the work of salvation with fasting. Talking about Matthew chapter 4, where he was in the wilderness. In the same way, all those who follow in the footsteps of the Savior build on this foundation, the beginning of their endeavor, since fasting is a weapon established by God. Who will escape blame if he neglects this? The lawgiver himself fasts. How can any of, those, any of those who have to obey the law be exempt from fasting? This is why the human race knew no victory before fasting. 
And the devil was never defeated by our nature as it is. But this weapon, talking about fasting, has indeed deprived the devil of strength from the outset. Our Lord was the leader and the first example of this victory. In order to place this first crown of victory on the head of our nature, as soon as the devil sees someone who possesses this weapon, fear uh, straight away falls on this adversary and tormentor of ours. Who remembers and thinks of this defeat by the Savior in the wilderness? His strength is at once destroyed, and the sight of the weapon given us by our supreme leader burns him up. A man armed with this weapon of fasting is always a fire with zeal. He who remains therein keeps his mind steadfast and ready to meet and repel all violent passions. So he talks about fasting as like this weapon that we see used by Jesus in the wilderness to prepare for his ministry and how it's important for people who take their faith seriously to understand this. Another church leader named John Chrysostom lived in the 400s. I think his last name is so fun to say. Said this about fasting. He said a lot more. Both of them did, but here's just an excerpt. The fast is food for the soul, and as food for the body fattens the body, so the fast strengthens the soul, communicates easy flight to it, gives it the ability to rise to the heights and to think about the high place, and delivers the pleasures and pleasantness from above to the present life. So I was, as I was going and doing some research on fasting, it became evident to me that the modern church as a whole has kind of lost sight of the power of fasting and the importance of its practice and has diminished it, especially compared to the early days of the church. At least in my personal experience in Christianity, fasting has been underemphasized, I would say. So in the church's history, fasting was common. It was encouraged. And I'm not saying that we need to come up with some kind of legalistic system here at North Kent Bible Church to institute a fasting plan that we all need to follow. However, I think that looking at fasting has opened my heart to considering it as a personal practice and then also something that we can implement here as a church, as a whole. And I'm hoping that looking at fasting over these coming weeks opens your minds and hearts to it too. So moving on from church history... Let's discuss the different types of fasting that are laid out in Scripture. They're there on your paper as well, but they are fasting from food, fasting from food and water. There are kind of unique dietary fasts, and there are also abstaining fasts. So these, uh, the references and the names are on your paper for you. Um, Feel free to add to those notes. But in the most traditional sense, a fast is just cutting out food from your daily life. Continue on living life as normal, except for the extra emphasis on God and prayer and the scripture. But it's cutting out food. And these fasts can go for quite some time if your body is able to handle it. Jesus, as we've already kind of mentioned, fasted for 40 days in Matthew chapter 4. Um, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And I don't know if it was like at the tick of the 40 days, like Jesus was like, oh yeah, I'm definitely hungry now. I imagine that he was hungry for a while. But um, what's important to note here is that there's no mention about thirst, right? It never says that Jesus was thirsty. So a lot of 
biblical scholars conclude that he probably drank water, most likely drank water during his time in the wilderness. And to kind of add to this point, when Jesus is being tempted by the devil just a little bit later in the passage, the devil tempts him with turning stones into bread. He never tries to tempt him with water. So assuming that Jesus was satiated in that way. So it seems that Jesus cut out food for 40 days at the start of his ministry. However, not all fasts are just for food. Some of them in the Bible have been from food and water. Look at the fast that Esther asked the people of Israel to do in preparation for her going to the king. Go gather all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants also will fast in the same way. So when it comes to food and water fasts listed in Scripture, it's important to note that they're shorter, right? There is a a short time frame put on the food and water fast. And you may not know this, but you can go without food a lot longer than you can go without water. I'm not a doctor. I'm not giving you medical advice. But you definitely get thirsty before you get hungry, significantly. Um, And so this is a good time to mention that as you are thinking about participating in this church fast, uh, you may not be able to do it in the same way that everybody else does. Like, your health is important and a consideration when trying to do things for God as well. Um, So you should be aware of your own limitations. Consult a doctor if you need to. Just be wise in your attempt at this fast. And some people even use juice to help supplement when they're going without food, you know, things like that. So there's a couple things to consider. Another instance of food and water fasting is found in Ezra chapter 10. In Ezra chapter 10, Ezra was upset that the Israelites who had come out of exile back into the land um, trying to rebuild the temple, they just weren't following God. They were being disobedient. He was in mourning because of the disobedience. And so it says that he went away for a day and did not eat or drink anything as he mourned the disobedience of his fellow Israelites. And once again, notice it was just a short one-day fast of food and water. It wasn't a prolonged period of time. There is one fun exception to the short fasting of water and food that we find in Exodus 34, which is on uh, also the first account of fasting in Scripture. So Moses, he was up on the mountain, he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights without eating bread or drinking water. He wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. So this is obviously a supernatural event where Moses was sustained by the presence of God. So if you happen to find yourself in a one-on-one conversation for 40 days and 40 nights with God on the top of a mountain, a food and water fast for that period, I think could be something you could consider at that time. Okay, If you find yourself in that situation, just remember Moses did it. You can try it too. Um, but in most cases, I recommend three days or less uh, if you're going to try a food and water fast. Uh, but these two categories probably encompass the more traditional sense of what fasting is. And then from here, there's kind of like these alternative styles or alternative views of fasting that wouldn't fall into the strict category of cutting out food. And while they may not fit into this strict category, I think they accomplish the same goal, which is to 
remove yourself from something in order to draw closer to God, to give him extra honor, to give him extra time and attention in your life. So the first one to note is this dietary fast. And most commonly, uh, the example cited is from the book of Daniel. You may remember that Daniel and a few of the other young men of Israel were taken captive and put in service of the king of Babylon. And a part of this service was that they were being trained in the language and the customs to serve the king. They also had to eat his food. But his food most likely, most definitely, did not meet the kosher laws. And so Daniel said, me and my friends, we can't do this. And the master of the servant said, do you want me to get killed? Because if you don't eat this, the king's going to get upset. And Daniel was like, no, here's a different idea. Let me eat vegetables, only drink water. And they ended up being blessed by God because of that and their obedience. And they showed extra strength, extra vigor. They looked extra healthy. And Daniel reflects on this moment in his life in Daniel chapter 10, 3. And he says, I did not eat any tasty food, nor did meat or wine enter my mouth, nor did I use any ointment at all until the entire three weeks were completed. So he's talking about this three-week period where he cut out specific things to show God's mercy, to show God's power, to make extra dedication to God's promises. So in certain situations, Christians have used these Dietary fasts, which usually fall into what is now considered like a vegan diet, only eating vegetables, only eating non-animal things, only drinking water. And they use this alternative form of fasting to sustain, to, to be sustained by God's presence, to look at him more fully, to focus on him. And then there's this kind of other broader category where I call it abstaining fast because it kind of can be anything that you decide that is desirable to you, something that's gathering your attention or something you just want to give up for a time to focus more on God. And the reference usually given to this one is 1 Corinthians uh, 5, 7. Paul is talking to married couples here specifically. So this is the, the context. He says, Stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So Paul is talking about abstaining from intimacy within marriage four times so that couple can wholeheartedly devote themselves to prayer and focus on their fellowship with God. But notice that it's defined for a period of time. So the couple going into this time of fasting agrees upon, hey, let's do this for this amount of time so that we can focus more on God. And then after this period of time, life resumes normally. And I think people have taken this idea and they can, I've applied it to all kinds of things. Social media, YouTube, other entertainment, or maybe it's something you really enjoy doing that takes a lot of your time. Pretty much any desire that you see is willing, you're willing to give up or you want to give up to pursue God further kind of falls into this category of fasting. And there may even be some uh, reason to believe that like a Nazarite vow is kind of similar to one of these dietary fasts or abstaining fasts where you make an extra dedication in your life to say, I'm going to give up these things in order to follow God more closely. So kind of looking at these four examples of fasting that are outlined, I think we can come up with a working definition, something like this. Fasting is a discipline of abstaining from food or something desired for a given period of time to devote oneself more to prayer 
in relationship with God. So here are some points that I think we can take away from today. Things that are important for us to remember. I even left some blanks here for you guys to fill these out because I'm being extra interactive today. Okay? Number one, fasting is a spiritual practice. Fasting focuses on the physical in some ways, right? You're giving up something that you desire, usually food. But the purpose is distinctly not physical, right? The practice is physical, but the purpose has nothing to do with the physical. It is a spiritual practice. So if you decide to go without eating, but then to continue to live normally and not do anything extra to focus on God or his word or pray, you have failed to fast. You have abstained from eating, but you have failed to fast in the spiritual sense. Fasting without a focus on God is just diet change, right? And intermittent fasting and uh, science has kind of... Come along fasting and said, fasting for a time is probably healthy for you and can even be beneficial in some cases and can help your mental state and things like that. If you're doing it for health and solely for health, you're missing the spiritual side of things. So yes, fasting is physical, but its purpose is spiritual. So that's one area to pay attention to in your motivations when you are going into fasting. Number two, fasting is a traditional discipline. Biblically, it has been practiced for thousands of years. The first fast mentioned very near the beginning of the Bible in Exodus that we just looked at with Moses. It has been an important part of the Jewish tradition uh, for a very long time. And that spilled over into early Christianity too. Jesus himself fasted. And if it was important to Jesus... If it was important to the early church, I think it should be important to us too. Not that we need to replicate everything that the early church did to make our faith more sincere, but I think it is helpful to look at what did the Christians closest to the Jesus and closest to the apostles, what did they do? What did they see was important? And fasting was one of those things that they thought was important. Number three, We looked at fasting can take on multiple forms. So, like we said, fasting traditionally is abstaining from food, can even uh, go into abstaining from water for a short time, but it can also include a variety of different things. And it can be made to encompass anything that we desire, anything that we want to set aside to dedicate ourselves more to spiritual practice, more to prayer, more to focus on God. So we've only started to scratch the surface on fasting and what the Bible has to say about it. In the coming weeks, like I said, we're going to look much deeper into the practice of fasting and how it powerfully impacts our lives and how it powerfully can transform our spirituality and be used as a tool to bring us closer to the God that we serve. Pray with me this morning. God, I thank you for this opportunity to look at fasting to giving up something in order to focus more on you and what you're doing. I just pray that you help open our hearts and our minds as we think about fasting and preparing for a potentially church-wide fast 
in the coming weeks. Let's pray that you speak to us and guide us in this practice. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.